going to go this evening to the Gospel of Luke, particularly Luke chapter 10. Well, what great singing, huh? Thank you so much for that, brother. I tell you, I'm, I don't know what to think. I, brother Bruce does such a good job singing. This preacher does such a good job singing. I want to sing. But brother Bruce said, I'm not allowed to until the meeting's over. He said, don't do anything to ruin the meeting, preacher. So I'll hold back. All right. Uh, I want you to go to Luke chapter 10 tonight. I want to just really emphasize what uh, Brother Bruce said a moment ago. I know what it's like to be busy and to have lots of things going on in life. And you, you work today and you got home and you rush to get things together in some cases to get here. And uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, I value that. I value your time. And uh, I think uh, just really want you to know that, and I think the preacher really appreciates you being faithful and supporting his meeting that he's put together, and I think we're having a good time. I know our family is, and uh, you're feeding me so good, I'm going to have to get new suits when I get home. I had ice cream last night. We had about seven flavors. We had homemade cinnamon rolls for breakfast this morning. They were delicious. I had a hamburger, a malt. Good night. I might decide to stay here, and uh, probably... You would be ready for me to be leaving before too long. All right. Luke chapter 10, and I want us to go together, please, to verses 38 through 42. This will be for some of you, not an unfamiliar passage of Scripture. This is a very familiar story about two sisters in the Bible who have a brother. They're fairly famous, not just because of who they are, but because of who they were friends with. They were friends of Jesus. And you know, just kind of getting started on that. You know what really makes our life valuable and important is the fact that we're friends of Jesus. It's the fact that we know him and he knows us. And I know sometimes in this world, people's acts of, uh, for the Lord, they go unnoticed. But I assure you someday we'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and God who is attentive to all things. He is aware of our service to the Lord and we'll sure be glad when we see Jesus someday that we've lived for him and that we've served him. And I think this evening as we consider uh, one of these sisters, I think there's a lot of things for us to see and to learn. The idea here for these days is the, the theme of revival. Revival. We started out on Sunday morning considering the power of kindness. We spent three services looking into the life of David. We saw where David showed kindness to Mephibosheth, one of the household of Saul. He, uh, Saul, of course, had been unfriendly to David and had caused him great stress in life. And yet even still, David showed kindness to Mephibosheth, that crippled who had no land, who was living in a bartered home. And through David's kindness, which is a type of God's grace and a picture of God's grace, Mephibosheth came to sit at the king's table. His family's uh, fortune was restored and their property. And we saw all those generations later that out of that, and out of Mephibosheth, and I believe Directly because of David's kindness, a mighty group of men, men of valor, sprung up, mighty archers. And how that must have really been pleasing to those folks in that day to consider that and to see God's grace. You know, God is still in the business of using people. You say, preacher, my life is marked with tragedy or sin. You have come to the right spot. You've come to the one who can help you, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Sunday evening, we talked about David and the hurt that he felt, and we made this statement that hurt people hurt people, and we talked about healing and the importance of that. And then last night, we considered that tragic situation in David's life, and we entitled it the progression to transgression. 
And we looked at some things, and we emphasized that word sober, how we see that throughout the Scripture, that all groups, old men, young men, uh, older ladies, young ladies, all believers are to be sober. And the Lord used Peter, of all people, to remind us that we need to be sober and vigilant because we have an adversary. And I, we tried to deal with that topic of sin and where we're going in our life. And now tonight I want us to really focus in on something that I believe is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing, to having revival. Revival in your heart. And that is to have a renewed, re refreshed relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to notice tonight from the life of someone by the name of Mary. Go with me now to Luke chapter 10, please. In verse 38, the Bible says, Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. We're going to turn throughout the scripture here this evening and look at the life of Mary. Now there are several Marys in the Bible. We don't want to be confused by that. So we're going to give this Mary, as oftentimes is the title, Mary of Bethany. Bethany is the place that she lives. Bethany was a town that was outside of Jerusalem. And as the Lord would travel to Jerusalem at various occasions, he would stop off in that town. Bethany means and speaks of a house of figs, a house of welcome. Some folks even believe that in Bethany it was a, almost like an area where there was a hospital of sorts where people would go for healing, house of healing. And it wasn't so far from the Mount Olivet where the Lord Jesus would someday ascend to heaven. Bethany is where they lived. Uh, anytime you see in the Bible the word Beth, it's referencing a house, house of. And so Durango and uh, uh, Cortez and different cities are known for particular things. And we, we, we know that name by that. And so they would name areas for what, they, what happened there. If there was a place where there were springs, they would use that to emphasize that. And so this family lives there in this place. Evidently, it would seem that Martha is the oldest or perhaps even a widow, because the Bible describes that this is her home. It could be that the home was left to her. Don't know for sure the circumstances there, but she is the person who the Bible kind of focuses in on as being responsible for that household. And I really think tonight, if you will listen to me, I will give you some things that will really help you. You know, sometimes we're there, but we're really not there. Sometimes we're here, but we're really not here. Hey, I have sat through church services when I was there, but I wasn't there. I, just being personal with you, I have six children. We have, I've had a busy life. My wife and I got married and finished up Bible college. I graduated from Bible college in May of uh, 1995. And we moved, and we started a church a few months later. And in some ways, it feels like the last 26 years of my life has just flown by. And it kind of goes from Sunday to Sunday. 
And I've watched our six children, and I'm blessed this evening to have three of our children with us. But there were times as I look back now, as a father, when I say I was there, but I was not there. Everything was happening so fast. And older folks would say to me, hey, you need to appreciate where you're at. You know, uh, the folks would come along to the young couples and they'll say, hey, you need to, those kids are going to go up faster than you think. And I used to hear that and say, yeah, 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 I get it, and I believe that, and I understand that. But let me tell you something, I'm that old guy now. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it flies by. And fellas, sometimes in our marriages, we're there, but we're not there. That doesn't mean we're being unfaithful. It doesn't mean we're being sinful. It just means that at times, if we're not careful, we get busy. We get overwhelmed. We're dealing with work. We're dealing with problems. We're trying to make a living. We're trying to keep uh, meet goals and have dreams, and we're trying to fulfill what we think is best. And we can be somewhere, but really not be there. And ladies, it's the same. I think today one of the sins of the younger generation is that they're there, but they're not there. They're in a room with people, but oftentimes they're looking at something else, aren't they? When I was a little boy, we would go and visit my grandparents. And I was blessed when I was relatively young that my great-grandparents were alive. And I can remember as a child going in and my dad saying, now you just go in here and you sit down and you listen. Right? Remember old school? When they told a kid to go in and sit down and be quiet and listen, and the, the whole, the, all the attention was on the kid, right? It was on who they were listening to. It's where you shake your head up down now, all right? All right Dr. Spock's done a great job with this country, hasn't he, in raising the kids. When I heard years ago about Dr. Spock, how many of you know what I'm talking about that? He was going to tell people how to raise their kids. I thought they were talking about, you know, the Dr. Spock that does this with his hands, you know? I thought Star Trek wrote a book on parenting? Sometimes I think that Star Trek would have done a better job than Dr. Spock. But I remember sitting there on a little stool in the corner and just listening and, and taking it all in. And my dad trying to impress on me at the time, even as a child, that look, there'll be a day when you won't have these opportunities any longer to hear these folks. Boy, I wish that 48-year-old Todd Pointer could call junior high Todd Pointer, and say to him, listen, why don't you turn off the TV and sit down alongside your papa or your grandpa, and why don't you ask them about their lives? Why don't you not worry about whether you're going to get homemade ice cream? Hold on now. How many of you remember good old-fashioned homemade ice cream? They'd turn it. My granny would make that, and so I equated the her house, the homemade ice cream, you know. Why not? Don't worry about those things. Why don't you ask them about who they are and their life? See, sometimes we can be there, but we're not there. You ever in the car with somebody, and they're talking and wanting to share with you, and you're there, but you're not there? Huh? Fellas, have you ever had that conversation with the wife where she was talking, and you were saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, and, and she says, are you listening to me? And you say, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. That's being there but not there. Do you know that I grew up in church, but I spent a good number of years there but not there? 
And there are people who will come to a meeting and, boy, some folks will walk out and they say, wow, I really got something from that. That was refreshing. That was helpful. That was insightful. And other folks will walk out and say, I don't know. What's the big deal? And sometimes we, we hang that on who presented truth or who it was that was there to get our attention. But the reality is that oftentimes it rests completely on us, doesn't it? I have decided in my life, and I still have to bring myself back to this and remind myself on a regular basis to not just be there, but really be there. And what we see here in the scripture is two sisters, and they're both good ladies. Martha's not a bad person. We need Martha's. We need people with initiative. We need people who see a need and desire to fill that need. You know what your community needs? It needs a church full of people who see a need and fill the need. More of God's people rolling up their sleeves, giving up some of their time, giving up some of their wants in order to fill the needs of their community, to take the gospel out, put gospel tracts out, or to go and serve and to reach out to your neighbors and to be a blessing. For so many people, their opinion of church is that they drive by and they see a building and occasionally they see cars in the parking lot and occasionally there's something, some sort of emphasis that they're told about and that's it. What they need to see is the church in action. What they need to see is people who are really seeing needs and filling them. That's what Martha did. Martha was a need filler. Jesus has come to her home. He is speaking. And the Bible says that Martha was serving and busy, cleaning up, tidying up, straightening up. But Mary was somewhere. I want you to see it with me, would you please? Verse 39 and she had a sister called Mary, which also did something. She sat where? At Jesus' feet. That's a common theme, and I'm going to show it to you this evening, and we're going to draw some conclusions there. If I were to title this message, I would title it this, The Purposed Disciple. The Purposed Disciple. Mary, according to Jesus, when Martha said to the Lord, Lord, correct her. Doesn't it bother you? Lord, don't you, you see that I'm doing all this and there she is. And what does the Lord say to her? Verse 41, and Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, hold on a second, Martha. Uh, that is not by accident, that's by design. Whenever I'm speaking to somebody or a child or whoever it might be and I say to them, uh, I'll use the name of one of my sons that's here, Jack, Jack. What am I saying that for? Emphasis. Hey, bud. Hey, you. Not you. You know, just pretending here, right? Don't get mad. Huh? Hey, Martha. Martha. You really need to get what I'm getting ready to say to you, Martha. Martha, you're concerned about Mary. Martha. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is what? Needful. Well, can we argue that cleaning the dishes and setting things in order, is that needful? Absolutely. Have you ever seen a junior high boy's room? Is it needful that on occasion you go through and you pick things up and you scrape the mold off the ceiling and the algae and the science fair project? 
Now, don't you love those lockers when they clean them out the last day of the school year? And there's things growing in them? Yeah, I would say it's still needful for things to be set in order and to be cared for. But at that time, at that moment, to really be there is not to be about the things that Martha was worried about, but the needful thing in comparison was to be at the feet of Jesus. You will only go so far in your service to the Lord, in your own strength, in your own thoughts, your own personal emphasis. There has got to come a time in your life where you really plug into being there. Sometimes, fellas, our wives are there, and they're there. And they want for us that we would be there, and sometimes they inflict enough, I'll choose my words carefully here, <laughs> pressure that we're there, but we're not there. Sometimes we get into things when it comes to the church, and we even develop a relationship with the church. We develop relationships with each other, and that's important because that's, a, that's that measure of accountability. And there's sometimes it's accountability that drags us along. But you will only go so far, you will only be so fruitful in and of yourself. What we've got to learn to do is exactly what Mary was picking up on, and that is to be at the feet of Jesus. What does that mean? You know, sometimes preachers say things, and that's a great line, at the feet of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. That means a few things here in the instance of Mary. One, it means that she had a priority on listening to the words of God. A priority on listening to the words of God. Look, everybody here, I don't care if you've been in church a week or you've been in church 50 years, you have got to continue to have a growing, thriving relationship with this book right here. Now, you've got an excellent pastor. And he does a wonderful job studying God's word and delivering to you the messages from God's word. But you need more. You need to learn to get into God's word, to understand God's word, and to allow God's word to get into you so that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, you are growing and you're thriving and you're developing in the word of God. There was a group of folks that were somewhat chastised or corrected in the book of Hebrews, and it was said of them, hey, you ought to be teaching people, but instead we've got to go back and teach you over and over and over again the things that you should already have established. I'm shocked at the lack of biblical understanding that many people who attend church on a regular basis have. Several years back on Wednesday evenings, I took the time to teach every book of the Bible, one week per book. Every week we stopped, we went back, we memorized the books of the Bible, we explained the divisions of the books of the Bible, we gave a, gave a working knowledge of the Bible. At the conclusion of that, after many weeks, a fellow whom I love dearly, who's with the Lord now, his name is Paul Kennedy. Paul Kennedy was a survivor of Pearl Harbor. Paul Kennedy was a survivor of D-Day. 
As I was standing in the lobby, he walked by me. He had spent all of his life in a particular church, and I'm not named the church. And he had come to our church much later in life. He'd been there all of his life from the time he was a little boy until he was well into his 80s when he was introduced to me. He walked out and he said, Preacher, with tears in his eyes, he said, nobody in all these years has ever taken the time to make sure that I understood how the Bible works. And he said, I want to thank you for that. Hey, listen, don't you muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. You've got something. You've got a good preacher who wants to be a great pastor who wants to teach you the word of God. You get involved in the word of God. You study God's word. You've been of high priority on the word of God. This country needs churches like this that people come to where they open the word of God and the preacher proclaims, thus saith the Lord. We don't need churches where the preacher stands up and says, let me tell you about a book that somebody wrote and let us share that book with you. I've got something that far exceeds that. I've got the book, the eternal book that's always been, will always be. People have tried to stamp it out. They've tried to strangle it out. They've tried to burn it out and it abides and will continue to abide. And that's God's word. You're here tonight and you're a young person. You say, that's good for my parents. No, young people, you need God's word. You gotta get in it. Parents, help them with that. Well, the enemy fights us in that, doesn't he? Because it's so important that we give God's word a priority in our life. Hey, I'm not asking you to go out today, and I didn't start out reading chapter after chapter after chapter as a young person. I started reading the passage and trying to understand that. And sometimes I didn't understand it. And sometimes my understanding of it was off the wall. And sometimes my dad would just look at me and scratch his head and say, well, I... I don't know how you came up with that, but uh, you might keep working on that. But I assure you, if you will get into God's word and you will let God's word get into you, if you will approach it with a priority, you'll begin to understand it. And when the preacher begins to explain something and you know it, then you're able to say amen because it's something that God's been dealing with you about. A priority of the word of God. Not only did she put a priority on the word of God, she recognized who Jesus is. She recognized who Jesus is. And who is Jesus? He is king and king of kings and lord of lords. He is God supreme. When she sat at his feet like one might do, and you've been so gracious, and I'm so humbled that you would come to hear me preach a few times. In a sense, you have come, and you've said, we appreciate this fellow, and we're willing to listen to him. But I wouldn't ask you to sit at my feet. They stink. But in Jesus' culture, when somebody was a teacher or a master or somebody that was respected, he would sit and they would come and they would sit at that person's feet and they would listen. When Jesus came and spoke in that home and Martha came and she sat at his feet, she was saying, I want to hear what you have to say. Your word is a priority to me. And she said, I also want you to know that you are a priority to me. You are Jesus. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the one that I long for. You're the one that I desire to hear from. Hey, hold on a second. We're talking about being there and really being there. 
How can you sing the songs of grace and goodness about Jesus and about God and your heart not be stirred? How can you not hear the song that this man sang for us a moment ago that glorified our Savior and your fire not burn in your heart when you think about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you? Mary was at his feet. She said, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say. And Lord, I want you to know that I recognize who you are. And the third thing that she did is she said, I trust what you have to say. I have confidence in your word. She had fertile soil, didn't she? She was ready to receive it. Martha loved Jesus. Martha was a friend to Jesus. Martha, I believe, listened to Jesus also, but her heart and her soil, especially at this time, was not prepared to receive the word. In Revelation chapter 2, there's a church, the church in Ephesus. And the Lord says, I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. He said, remember, repent, and do. We talk about their first love. Their first love was a priority on Christ, a priority on the word of God. They were still there, but they weren't there. You know, that's a description of a lot of churches, isn't it? They're there, but they're not there. They say, we want people to be saved, but they don't ever offer the gospel to anybody. They say, we want to make a difference in the world, but they don't give any money to missions to send missionaries around the world. They say they're there, but they're not there. They're more concerned with the color of the walls or the carpet and more concerned about what people think about their church and the community than being there. And the Lord said to that church, hey, you're there, but you're not there, and you need to get back to being there. You may be here tonight, and you may put on a good presentation of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe in, when you called upon his name in salvation, he saved you, and you're saved but tonight you'd say, preacher, if it was really known what my personal walk with the Lord is like, I'm not there. I'm not there. How do I know this? Because I too, like you, am trapped in this body. I too understand the struggle of life. Well, we go to such mountaintops, don't we, with God, and then we get down in the valley. And it's easy to get busy. I am a Martha. I like to be busy. I like to you know, see something needs to be done. Let's do it. My wife sometimes scratches her head at the things that I jump into. I like to be busy. And truthfully, I can find myself so occupied in ministry that I say, well, you know, I'll get to that merry part later. That progression of transgression oftentimes begins by not being at the feet of the Lord, doesn't it? He'll help us get everything done. He'll give us the power. Now, look, there's a balance on that, too. There's a lot of lazy preachers in the world who don't get anything done. There's balance. That priority, that needful thing to begin every day, to begin our life, to get things going, to keep things going is to be at the feet of Jesus Christ. This evening I would ask you this question. Are you born again? Are you saved? I want you to see that Mary was at the feet of Jesus Christ when it came to the routine and the busyness of life. While others were busy and going about the routine, Mary made sure that even in that, what I would call the mundane things of life, 
She made it a priority to be where Jesus was at and at his feet. What are you bothered with today? Just put the jelly on the bottom shelf. Have you been in God's word today? Have you found time for Facebook today? Have you found time for the news today? Have you found time for the newspaper today? I'm amazed, and maybe you're one of those people that do or you don't, but there are those who like to read the obituaries. Now, that's depressing to me, okay? But I have folks, man, they can tell me, did you hear about so-and-so? I read in the obituary. Well, hey, hold on a second. That's fine. You want to read that and catch up on that stuff? That's good. But how about we go to something that deals with resurrection? Amen. How about the Word of God? Hey, do you put a priority there in your life? You say, preacher, I don't know a thing about God's word. I've been in church for years. I'm almost ashamed. Well, you know, that's the great thing about being in a church that teaches and preaches the Bible. You can come here and you can learn, and there's classes, there's small groups. There's opportunities to go further in that. Do you say, preacher, I'm too old for that. You're never too old for that. Never too old for that. Learn, grow, develop in that. A priority on being at the feet of Jesus when life was. Hey, isn't life like this great? I used to think that days like this were boring. But the older I get, you know what I like? Huh? Boy, this past Sunday morning I got up, had my breakfast, had uh, poached eggs, English muffin, cup of coffee, didn't have a care in the world. Got ready, came to church, drove into church. Well, I wasn't worried if the air condition worked, if the lights came on. I wasn't worried who was here, who wasn't here. I wasn't worried whether the buses broke down. Hey, I was, it was smooth sailing. I said, man, this is, this is how every Sunday should be. Now, I know the next Sunday, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get up early, get over, make sure everything's up and running like it should. I'm going to make sure the buses pull into the parking lot like they're supposed to. So I have to figure out what tow company to call to go get the bus picked up. or what. what. A couple weeks ago, we ran a bus for the first time in a while. The bus went out. A guy called and said, the bus broke down. I said, well, get the other bus and go pick them up. The guy called. My youth pastor called. And right in the middle of my Sunday school lesson, he said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? The second bus broke down. I said, are you kidding me? Come on, huh? I came in, it was nice and smooth, right? We like smooth days, but life's not always smooth, is it? But you know, even in the smooth days, we need to make a priority on the Lord, priority on God's word. Make that a habit, a constant habit, being with the Lord and spending time with the Lord. Now, I want you to look with me now at another situation in their life. Go to the book of John, would you please? We're looking at the life of Mary. We're considering the fact that she was a purpose disciple. We're seeing that even in times of busyness or what we would call the normal routine of life. She was at the feet of Jesus. But we're going to look at something now that is not the routine of life. We're looking together now in John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is given to a situation that transpires in this home. You've probably had something like this happen in your life. Perhaps the outcome was not quite as spectacular, but you have experienced the discouragement and the defeat and being overwhelmed that Mary and Martha will experience. Their brother Lazarus falls ill, ill unto death. They send for Jesus, their friend, to come and help with their brother who is sick. They've seen, they've heard, they've watched his miracles, they've seen how he's healed other people. He is their personal friend. Surely he'll come quickly. The Bible tells us that Jesus delayed in his coming. 
Have you ever prayed for something and it was delayed? Ever had a situation? I know I have in our church. I was thinking of a young man today who's with the Lord now, father of four children. I heard a song today, an old country uh, cowboy song. Remember that he came with his family out west. And I thought of him. I stood in church and I looked at him over a course of a few weeks and his countenance was not as it had been. I don't mean that he wasn't smiling. I could tell physically there was something wrong with him. And I went to him and he was a rough and tough guy, a truck driver, hardworking man. And I called him by name and I said, look, I need you to do me a favor. And I know you don't want to do this. And I know you're not concerned about this, but I'm telling you, I'm a pastor. I look into people's eyes all the time and I'm telling you there's something not right with your health. Now, if you won't do it for yourself or for them, you're always telling me you want to do something for me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the doctor and I want you to find out what's going on. And it was the dreaded C word, cancer. And our church prayed and we came together and we rallied around that family and around that man and we wept. And I went down to their home on a regular basis while he was there going through various things and dealing with things. And the Lord healed him, but healed him differently than I expected. Took him to heaven. And just like Martha and Mary, more so like Martha in this story, when she heard that Jesus was finally coming, she went out and she met him. Lord, I was on the phone today with the fellow for a little while and he said, you know, sometimes I don't know how to answer when people ask me, why do things happen to people? Good people, righteous people. I don't have an answer to it. I said, well, you know, there's sometimes I, I have to trust in the God that's faithful and true. And sometimes I ask myself, why do good things happen to bad people? Because the reality is we're more bad than we are good. And we get God's sunshine and God's love and God's warmth all the time. And I, you know, if I were God and I were in that God department, I probably wouldn't be so gracious as God is. Lord, what, what, what are you doing there? And I want you to see with me, verse 21, very quickly. John chapter 11, verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, notice this word, if. Thou it's been here, my brother had not died. Have you ever got ifs in your mind? If. Well, if that hadn't happened, or if this had happened, or if God had done this. But even in that, Martha, verse 22, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will what? God will give it to you. God will do it. Well, Mary gets word that Jesus has come. I want you to see what Mary does. Verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down where? Do you notice the pattern? Hey, when everything was going great in their home and Jesus was in their home and it was a beehive of activity, where was she at? At his feet. When her life was turned upside down, when she could have had every reason to be frustrated, angry, fearful, disappointed in the Lord, when she sees Jesus, where does she come and where does she fall? 
at his feet. Friend, there will be times in your life where the only place you can go to find any help will be at his feet. There are moments when we are overwhelmed. I've been overwhelmed. I've been overwhelmed in ministry with situations. I've been overwhelmed in health concerns in our own home, and our own lives. When I was in Bible college and I was a couple of years in, my papa died, died of cancer. Very tragically, my nanny, his wife, within a year, on a particular day, very tragically, her life ended. I walked into a home. As I was pulling into my driveway, an ambulance was pulling out. I walked in as an 18, 19-year-old young man in Bible college, came in from a day of work, and I looked and I saw in my family's faces grief. And I was overwhelmed. <gasps> Have you ever had that? That dry heave, that punch in the gut, that what are we going to do, how do we deal with this? And I walked outside, and I don't mean to be, I don't want to be spooky to you, but I walked outside, and it was dusk. And I looked up to the heavens, and I said, God, I don't understand this at all. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to process this. I don't like this. I don't agree with this. And I, don't, I can't explain everything about it, friend, but it is as if the Lord and his sweetness and his goodness came and rested on my heart and said, let not your heart be troubled. All those things that I had read, all those things that I had studied, all those things that were important for other people became what I needed because I went at a time of being overwhelmed and I went where? At his feet. Hey, a purpose disciple is one who has the right priorities. Where are your priorities at? God. Always at the top of the list. Friend, God is the list. If you'll please God and strive to please God, everything will fall in line. We don't have to put them down chronologically. God is the list. God. To love him, to walk with him, to be who he's called me to be. Priorities. A purpose disciple not only understands priorities, but a purpose disciple who is at the feet of Jesus in the mundane times, right priorities, who deals with the overwhelming situations, it has demonstrated their purpose through their patience. We have a promise as God's people, don't we? And we know that all things work together for good. That's my promise. That's not everybody's promise. That's God's people's promise. God's got a plan. God's going to use it. I believe today that I'm the pastor and have been used of God in whatever way I have been over these years because some difficult things in my life that overwhelmed me pushed me to go to the feet of Jesus, not get angry, not get bitter, not quit, not give up, 
not turn from God, but to turn to God so that I can stand up before you tonight and I can say, listen, I know what it is to be overwhelmed. I know what it is to go to his feet and to worship him and to trust him and to listen to his word and he'll pick you up and he'll bring you through. One of our children early on in ministry, as an infant, we could tell there was something physically a little bit different about him. We went to doctors and doctors said, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. We noticed that his abdomen area began to grow. My parents, who did not see him all of the time, saw him after some time and they said, listen, I'm telling you, you need to go see a good doctor. Something's not right. We went to a doctor who was a younger doctor who had just gotten out of school. That doctor looked at our child and said, immediately, tomorrow, you need to go and see this surgeon. We went. That surgeon saw us that next day, and that surgeon said the next day, so three days into this, you need to be at this hospital tomorrow morning. My wife and I, all of our children relatively young, we went to the hospital, and we were going in for tests, and the technician, not knowing that we had no knowledge of what was happening, we were just there to get a test, says to us, so the doctors want us to find out how big the tumor is. What? Tumor? The surgeon came in afterwards and he, after the test, he said, I, I need you to do something. I need you to get your things together. I need you to take your child to the children's hospital today. We're going to begin tonight treating him. I didn't know anything about children's cancer. He was eight months old at the time. His older brother, bless his heart, who was maybe five or so, we told him, so-and-so's got cancer. And he said, why? He never smoked. <laughs> and we went in, and the nurses all seemed so kind and so concerned, and the doctor began to tell us, your, your child is at a stage in his cancer Four and a half. That means nothing to me. I don't know. What is that? I'm in my early 20s. What does that mean? I don't know. What does that mean? Four and a half. There are five stages. One is the beginning. Five is the end. And he's at four and a half. And that evening, they began to treat him. I can't not tell you. When I was young and dumb. I just knew that I'd have to trust the Lord. My wife, the same thing, and we would take turns coming and going to the hospital, overwhelmed, but at his feet. I remember walking down the hospital hallway. I suspect I was, I don't know, 26, 27 at the time. I looked out over the Indianapolis skyline, and a few thoughts went through my mind. Why? Here I am, I, we had started a church and our church was going pretty good at that time. We were getting ready to build our first building. Why, God? What are you doing? I'm angry. I don't even know how to process. I don't even know how to take this in. I don't even understand the complete magnitude of this. What are you doing, God? And friend, it was as if a still small voice in my heart said to me, not that he's going to be healed or anything like that. Just said, come to my feet. 
Now, the great news is that the Lord did heal our son. Nurses later would come and tell us years later as we would encounter them, and they would say, we remember you. We remember your wife because you were both so young and innocent and had no idea of how serious the situation was. The Lord could have just as easily chosen to take him to be with him. It wouldn't have changed anything about the Lord's goodness or mercy in my life. It wouldn't have changed anything about my need to be at the Lord's feet. Hey, the purpose disciple has right priorities even in times of calm. The right disciple, the purpose disciple has patience in the midst of being overwhelmed. And now I'll close with this. Take your Bibles, would you please, and turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. The Bible says in verse 1, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And of course, time will not allow us there. The Lord did raise Lazarus as a testimony to the Lord. There, verse 2, they made him a supper. And Martha served him, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. Then took Mary, this is that Mary of Bethany. We've seen her now in three pictures. Three portraits. We saw her in the mundane, the busyness of life. When things are good, where was she at? We've seen her at a time when her life was turned upside down. And where was she at? We're going to see her again. Now, Jesus' ministry is going to get turned upside down, isn't it? The disciples' lives are going to get turned upside down. They're in this last supper. They're in this time of preparation for what's to come. And what does Mary do? Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Of course, Judas will speak up and he'll step in and he'll say, why was this done? Why was this spent? We could have used this for other things because some, listen, just passing by this. People are always hung up on money. One thing to be frugal, one thing to be mindful of that. But listen. If that's what you think everything is driven by, and if that's all you're worried and focused on, that'll eat you alive. Okay? God tells you to give, give. God tells you to be a blessing to somebody, be a blessing to somebody. Look, straight up, straightforward. I need nothing from you. I don't need a penny. I don't need a dollar. If I need to, I've had so much fun here, I would pay you to come here. I'm not, I'm not a television evangelist. Don't, I'm not going to send you a prayer rug if you send me $19.99, okay? I'm not going to charge you for my sermons. I'll pay you a dollar for listening to my sermons, okay? Right? But I'm going to tell you this about giving. If God says give, then it's impressed on your heart to give. Be a giver. You won't outgive God. Judas said, what are we doing here? Mary said, I'm taking something probably... Could very easily have been in the bottle that it was in, and that ointment was something that was precious and very valuable, and could have very easily been something that was like a family heirloom. And she came in and she said, Hey, while Mary again is serving, I'm coming in and I'm putting this on Jesus. I'm going to show him my love, I'm going to show him my understanding. I'm not taking you there for time, but in the Gospel of Mark, this situation is alluded to. And when people rebuke her, you know what Jesus says about this, this situation? He said, anywhere that my gospel is preached, you be reminded of her because she gets it. 
She had a perception of the plans of God in a greater way than the very men who had been traveling with him understood. And she put that ointment out. She said, I get it. I know who Jesus is. I understand what's going to happen here, and I am showing him my love beforehand. You know what happens for the purpose disciple? They get it. When you're there and you're there, before long, you know what? You'll get it. You'll go, I, I know what the preacher's talking about. I get it. I know what it is to be at the feet of Jesus. I get it. I know what it is to be carried in difficult times by Jesus. I get it. I understand why I'm giving. Because someday I'm going to see him face to face. I get it. I understand that this old world and all that's in this world is going to fall off, rust off, break off, or burn off. But someday I'll see the King of kings and Lord of lords and how I've lived my life for him and how I've invested in his kingdom. That's my priority. I get it. The purpose disciple has priorities that are right, has patience in the midst of trials, has a perception of what God is doing, and then I would close with the fourth point, has a life that is very profitable. Very profitable. I desire that my life would be what? Profitable. Uh, one thing that is such a valuable asset is time. Can't buy time back. You've given us an hour and ten minutes of your life tonight. If you don't smile, I'm going to take two hours of your life tonight. You say, I'm going to get them walk out if you do. All right, then who's smiling then, right? Huh? Time can't be bought back. Hey, the tick of the clock. Only what's done for Christ will last. The purpose disciple, where are they? At the feet of Jesus. When life is smooth, when life is overwhelming, and in worship of understanding, at his feet in that room, going, I get it. Hey, tick of the clock. Tell me what else needs to be done before the return of our Lord. Those of you that are students of prophecy, and you probably know more than I do, but what I do understand of it, there are many things that the Bible says we're gonna, are going to happen and people will be able to relate to. Chips and, you know, an idea of a mark being out there where people can't buy or sell without a mark. Now, how in the world is somebody over one country going to know what you're buying and selling over here in Cortez? Do they know now? Is the world interconnected now? Are people traveling to and fro now? Are they talking about sending people in super jets now that are going to fly out of the atmosphere and then drop back down into the atmosphere so they can have speed up travel in this world? You don't see the last year's events of the things that have unfolded and how people have carried on and the approach to things and the direction of things as a preparation for what the Bible speaks of, the things that will transpire and take place. Now, I'm not going to give you a month or a date because a lot of people have. And but I have to think if there's a clock, it's got to be close. And that's why we're to be sober. That's why we want our lives and our time and our priorities. We want to get it. We want to be perceptive. And this is what we have with the purpose disciple. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, can we? Father in heaven, thank you for meeting with us tonight. Lord, I believe that this is an all-important topic.